I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. You might take a few minutes to find that. It takes me a little bit myself. It's only about two pages in my Bible. We're going to start off the new year by going through an entire book of the Bible this morning. So I hope you came prepared. We will uh, go through and summarize quite a bit of the book of Habakkuk this morning. I'm going to put a couple of things on the screen. Uh, the timeline, I want to give you some background information. If you see in the bulletin, my text for this morning is at the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. That's the last three verses in the book. But for the last three verses, to make any sense at all, we're going to need to know what happens before it. And to know, to give us some context, we're going to back up even further. We're going to go all the way back to the time of Solomon. In time of Solomon, Solomon's reign ended about uh, when he died, about the year uh, 920, 930 B.C. King Solomon dies, and the kingdom was divided. We had northern, the northern kingdom called Israel, consisted of the ten tribes of Israel. And then you had two tribes in the south called Judah. They were the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. And for the next 200 years, there was tension between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, as well as tension of around all the surrounding areas from the other nations in the area. I want to put a couple things up here for the sake of time. You can just see the fun graphics go. This is basically what I want you to understand about the two, three hundred years between the time uh, Solomon died, divided kingdom, and kind of world powers. There's three major world powers on the scene outside of Judah. There's Egypt to the south. There's the Assyrians to the north and the Babylonians, also called the Chaldeans here in our text, uh, to the northeast as well. And, and these powers, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, are constantly vying for power. And, and the first kingdom to kind of come into power is Assyria. And Assyria gives Judah trouble, but first you have Assyria take the northern kingdom. Judah remains intact. Assyria takes the northern kingdom. Then, after about another hundred years, we have the good king Josiah. And Josiah is important because he is a contemporary of Habakkuk, our prophet, this morning. He is crowned king of Judah. You might remember that he was eight years old when he became king. He's known for that. But he's also known for bringing the people of God back to his law, his ways. He tears down the idols in the high places. And there's a revival of sorts within Judah. Same general time, about 30 years after his um, reign, we have the outside world have some tension. Uh, Babylonians attack and conquer Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. And then in there, there's a struggle for power between Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. Babylon's attacking Assyria. Egypt is trying to get in on the action. They team up with what's left of Assyria to try to go after the uh, Babylonians. But here's Judah in the middle of it all. And in the middle of it all, Egypt tries to go through Judah to attack Babylon with Assyria. But King Josiah says, nope, you're not coming through my land. But unfortunately, that gets him killed in 609 B.C. thereabouts. And the next four years are important because two main things happen in 605. Number one, 
Babylon defeats definitively both Assyria and Egypt. So now Babylon is the real powerhouse on the scene in the region. In that same year, we also have Nebuchadnezzar, the king, emperor of Babylon, starts to attack Judah. And he, he comes into Judah, he conquers some territory, but is pushed out, but he brings some exiles from Judah back to Babylon. This happens again as they attack uh, Jerusalem in 597, about 20 years later. And then eventually Nebuchadnezzar would come back and destroy all of Jerusalem. I tell you this just to set the stage, get our minds wrapped around the kind of environment that Habakkuk is written in. It's, it's a time of devastation, of war, of struggle, of captivity, and it's just a disaster. And God's people, Judah, is right in the middle of it all. So we're going to walk through Habakkuk this morning, and Habakkuk's reign, uh, or Habakkuk's prophecy here, this, he says this oracle, as he describes it, happens right between the time that King Josiah dies and right before the first invasion of Babylon. And what happens in the life of Habakkuk is he got to see the prosperity that Judah brought. He got to see the reforms start to come into place. Judah turned back to God and there was prosperity in the land of God's people. But after Judah died, like so many times, Josiah's sons did not follow the ways of their father. And so you had a short reign of a king, and then you had Jehoiakim come, uh, Josiah's second son, and he was a disaster. He was a terrible king. He didn't listen to God. He didn't care about God. He was all about himself and power and wealth and things of that nature. And so we get to the book of Habakkuk, And he's torn. He's torn because he's seen the destruction of Judah from the inside. He's seen their leaders falter. He's seen the people go away from God. But he's also seen all the violence and corruption and war and just terror that's happening outside of Judah as well. So that's the brief, brief version of the historical background to Habakkuk. Now, what do we know about the prophet Habakkuk? Well, that's about it. He was a prophet. We can infer from a text that he was likely a priest, and he might have been a musician. We're going to see a couple little musical notations that are out throughout the Hebrew text that we'll make note of from time to time. But that's really all we know about the man, Habakkuk. He was a prophet. He was likely a priest. He might have been a musician. What's interesting about Habakkuk as a prophet is that typically when we describe prophets, we say they're spokesmen for God. They bring a message to the people, God's people, from God. Well, Habakkuk is a prophet to God on behalf of Israel. There's a little interesting twist there. And what we also know as we walk through Habakkuk, what we see is Habakkuk was a godly man. He wasn't just doing a job by being a priest or being a prophet. He was a godly man who truly wanted to follow after God, who truly cared about God's people. And this true care and this godliness of Habakkuk is what caused him such turmoil as he begins his book. He's troubled with all the things that are happening around Judah and in Judah. 
So with that, we're ready to jump into our text this morning. But will you pause and pray with me for a moment? Dear Lord, I pray as we just kind of quickly brush through this text that you would just reveal your word to us this morning, that you would uh, use it to change us, to transform us from the inside out. We pray in your name. Amen. Habakkuk opens in an interesting way. He complains to God. This is what he says. We have Habakkuk's first complaint, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. As we've already noted, the wicked seem to be prospering, thriving within Judah. And Habakkuk is wondering where God is. It's a pretty bold move to challenge God. To complain to God. But I wonder if we've had those same kinds of questions. Really, Habakkuk is asking God, God, are you there? And I think I've seen it in my life, maybe you've seen it in yours, where you're asking questions like this. God, why aren't you listening? Do you hear my prayers? Why aren't you answering me? Don't you see the violence of our world, God? Are you going to do something about all these sinners, all the sin in the world? Why are you letting the evil people prosper? Why does it seem that the good people can't catch a break? Why are the good suffering and the evil winning? Do you not see the destruction of our world, the violence, the riots, the arguing, the fighting, the politicians? I mean, God, where are you? Can't you see that the law has become useless? Don't you see that no one really seems to care about justice? God, where are you? Are you even there? You see, these questions don't seem that odd. Even in our day, they're legitimate questions. In some sense, as we struggle with this tension, with wickedness and evil in our world. The questions that Habakkuk is coming to God with, they parallel very well with our world today. And what that means is that we need to lean in and listen to God's answer. Because God's answer, as much as it was applicable for Habakkuk, will also be applicable for us today. So since we actually want to get all the way to the end of the book today... I'm going to mostly summarize the content as we walk through this this book instead of walking through verse by verse like we would typically do. But I want to show you the first few verses of God's reply. Habakkuk complains. Here's God's answer. He says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God's answer is actually quite simple. He reminds Habakkuk 
that he doesn't have the same view that God does. God says, yes, Habakkuk, I am working. But what I am doing, Habakkuk, is far beyond what you can see at the moment. When Habakkuk asks God, are you there? God replies, yes, I am working. So what is God doing? What is God working on? He continues to answer the prophet. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, this is Babylon, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And he continues in the next, the rest of this chapter to describe just how bad these Chaldeans were. They love and hunger power. They're ruthless. They're violent. They're cruel. They're murderers. And God says, I'm working on it, Habakkuk. I'm raising these people up. And these Chaldeans, these ruthless, cruel, murdering people are going to bring judgment on the wickedness in Judah. Habakkuk isn't very happy with God's response. I actually think Habakkuk probably is taken aback. He's a little horrified. Like, that doesn't make sense to the prophet. And so again, Habakkuk pushes back against God and complains again. This is what Habakkuk says for a second time. He says, God, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You, of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong? Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk's second complaint is pretty simple. He says, God, you're raising up the Chaldeans? They're worse than Judah. How can you use someone that's worse and more wicked than Judah to judge Judah, God, that doesn't make any sense. In essence, Habakkuk is asking, God, are you good? He said, are you good? Because if you're good, how are you using these wicked people to judge your people? It doesn't make any sense. He's like, God, you just told me that they're worse than Israel. They All they care about is power. They're more corrupt. They're more violent. They treat humans like animals. All they want to do is catch and kill and catch and kill and grow their nations. God, how can you be good and use the Chaldeans? See, Habakkuk is appealing, appealing to God's character because he knows God and God is good and he is pure and he is holy and he is righteous. And so he's saying, how? How is this possible, God? Are you really good? Think Habakkuk is a little frustrated. He's probably a little confused about how all this can work out. And so if you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post, station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And so, verse 2, The Lord answered me, Write the vision, 
Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Here we know why. We find out why this book is in the Bible. God told Habakkuk to write it down. To write down all that he saw and heard in these moments as a warning for all who would read it. And so the Lord continues in verse 3 and verse 4. Some monumental truths that we want to grab hold of this morning. He says in verse 3, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. So the Lord starts his response. I think he really just reinforces his first point in verse 3. He says, I am working, Habakkuk. Even if you don't see it, I am working. It might be going slow, but it is moving forward. He is working, but he is not in a hurry. And then in verse 4, he tells Habakkuk a great truth. The prideful are puffed up. These Chaldeans, all they can see is the here and now. All they're working for is the power that they can gain right now. But the righteous, they live by their faith. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Habakkuk says, God, are you good? And God says, yes, just wait and see. One commentator said this about God and his timetable of justice. He says, God has all the ages in which to demonstrate his justice. The testing of time will reveal what men are, as fire separates gold from the dross. The Chaldeans may prosper in their wickedness for a season and seem to triumph over a people more righteous than they. Yet, they carry in themselves the germs of certain ruin. The years, which are the crucible of God, will make manifest the essential weakness of an ungodly people. See, it's so easy. Just like it was for Habakkuk, and I think just like most of us would agree, it gets easy to get lost in the present. To see all of the things that are wrong in the world right now. To wonder where God is right now. Because everything seems to be going so wrong. And God's answer to Habakkuk, and I think God's answer to you and to me, is to be patient. Is to wait, because God indeed is at work. Now, what's also important to note is the rest of this chapter. Just because God is raising up and using the Chaldeans as an instrument of His judgment does not mean He condones or approves of the sin of the Chaldeans. And that's evidenced by the rest of the chapter. There's five woes to the nation of Babylon. There's five woes against the actions and character of Babylon. Here's a brief summary my paraphrase. Woe to the thieves and to the power hungry. Woe to the selfish and greedy. Woe to the violent and the oppressors. Woe to those who corrupt others. Woe to those who worship idols. 
In every one of these woes, if you go through and read it, which I encourage you to do this week, you also see an indictment. There's a promise that they will meet their end. That God will execute His judgment on the Chaldeans for their sin, their evil, and their wickedness. No one gets a pass in God's court. But there is something also very important to realize. This description, these woes to Babylon, do not only apply to Babylon. Look familiar in today's world. People, cultures, nations, thieves, power-hungry, selfish, greedy, violent, oppressors, corruption, idol worship, whether that be 401Ks, houses, cars, or whatnot. Yeah. The woes are not just to Babylon. They're to any culture, any person who props up these things, who counts these things as their God, who puffs themselves up by using these means and methods. These woes apply equally to today as they did to Babylon in the day of Habakkuk. But if that's true, it is also true that God's answer to Habakkuk will also be true to you and me as people of God. What God warns the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and all those who live like them is that their desires will be their ruin. That they bring They are bringing destruction on themselves. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Verse 20 says, Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Habakkuk says, God, are you good? God says, yes. Justice will be served. With His final answer from God after Habakkuk's first Two complaints. He has a shift in perspective. He responds with a prayer in chapter 3. He describes this vision of God. He describes the new perspective that he has received. We see, look with me at the beginning of chapter 3. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. According to a big fancy Hebrew word that I can't pronounce that means some musical term. No one really knows what it means. That's the musical notation there. But here's this prayer that's probably put to music. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, that means right now. Right now, revive it. In the midst of the years, right now, make it your works, your revival known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk knows who God is. He knows and trusts that God is working. He also know God is a God of mercy. And he cries out for mercy and revival. And what happens throughout the bulk of chapter 3 here is... Habakkuk recounting God's faithfulness through the centuries of his people. In verse 3 and 4, Habakkuk describes this vision of God 
His glory and His power and His majesty. And then he goes in verses 5 through 15, and he goes all the way back to Deuteronomy, Mount Sinai, God revealing himself to Moses, giving the tablets. He follows through the Exodus, the rivers uh, parting as they leave Egypt, the rivers parting again as they enter into the promised land. He speaks of accounts of the kings and the judges and the battles and how time after time after time again, God is faithful to His people even in crisis. He describes God's power as He saves His people over and over again. And in the midst of this description, He also points to the purpose of God's faithfulness and work in humanity and in particular his people look with me at verse 13 you went out for the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked laying him bare from thigh to neck Salah pause think what is God doing Through all of this work, He's promising salvation. He will save His people. He is working. It is moving forward. It may be slow, but He will save His people. He will defeat evil. He will bring justice to all to rescue the oppressed and the innocent. Habakkuk comes to understand what God revealed to him back in the first verses of chapter 2. That God is in control. That He's working out His own purposes in His own time. And so he comes to a close of his prayer in verse 16. He has a physical response to this vision of God. His glory, His power. His covenant-keeping promises. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk is wrecked by the glory and the knowledge and the majesty of God. And he says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk knows in this moment that disaster and ruin await him and his people. But he has committed to wait patiently for the Lord. I think Habakkuk has embodied what Christ came and said nearly a century later. When he said in John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's the only way Habakkuk has peace in this moment. So then finally, we come to the conclusion of the chapter, to the conclusion of our book, conclusion of the message in a few minutes. Verse 17. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Habakkuk is 
painting a picture of the judgment that is coming to Judah. And it's not good. It's not good. He says, literally, there will be no flowers, no fruit, no produce. Crops will be destroyed. Livestock will be stolen. This is Babylon coming. The Chaldeans coming soon, quickly. 605, 597, 586. This is what's coming. And Habakkuk knows it. Metaphorically, he's saying there's no hope in the future. There's nothing to rely on in the present. And there's nothing to fall back on in the past. Verse 18. Yet. Yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Maybe Rob can put this to music for us next week. One commentator, as he talking about this transition that Habakkuk went through in just these few chapters, he says, out of his doubts, the prophet forged a new belief in the character of the infinite against the dark background of human hatred, greed, and aggression stood forth the purpose of the all-holy. Where before he had been on the brink of despair, like a traveler lost in trackless desert, like a shipwrecked mariner dying of thirst, now circumstances were subordinated to faith. We, are the offspring of God. We are meant not for the valley of fears, but for the high place of faith, not for the slough of despond, but for the delectable mountains, with their glimpse of the celestial city and the good yet to be. Habakkuk has chosen to trust, to take joy in the covenant-keeping, covenant promises of God. Habakkuk has become, in this short little book, an example of what it looks like to live by faith. The most powerful, profound word in this passage, in my opinion, is the littlest one. Yet. Yet. Because yet signifies choice. It was an act of the will. Habakkuk made a choice, despite his circumstances, despite the difficulty that he has seen, that he's living in, and the difficulty that he knows is to come, Habakkuk has chosen to rejoice. I doubt Habakkuk. I know Habakkuk did not feel like rejoicing. Habakkuk chose to rejoice. Habakkuk could choose joy. We can choose joy. Because joy is not grounded in our circumstances or our feeling. Joy is grounded in what we know to be true. And who we know to be true. And that's God Himself. That is our source of joy. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How do we respond? How should we respond? Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And so we choose to rejoice. We choose to rejoice in the Lord. It's a command, Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? To put it simply, we rejoice because of who God is. Full stop. Because of who God is. He is good. He is just. 
He is holy. He is all-powerful. He is immutable. He does not change. His promises are sure. He can be trusted. These are reasons for joy. These are reasons to to choose to rejoice in the Lord. It's important to understand that Habakkuk is not ignoring his circumstances. He's not just closing his eyes and pretending that things aren't wrong. No. He's choosing to trust that God is greater and bigger than any difficulty that he might face. He chooses to rejoice in the Lord. So should we. He says, yet I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We ought to choose to know God. You see, in this praise, the shift of perspective is not just just the character of God that Habakkuk was praising. It was the personal nature of his own salvation. As much as Habakkuk knew that he had been working on the behalf of his people, Habakkuk also knew that God saw him, that God heard him, that God was answering his prayers. Habakkuk had a reason to sing because he knew his salvation was secure in God's promises. The choice to rejoice in the Lord and in his salvation was the evidence of Habakkuk's faith. Now, I believe that faith is first a gift from God. But I also believe that gift of faith corresponds with an act of the will a choice to believe. We could choose to continue to live by faith every day. We choose to live by faith, by trusting in His promises, by relying on His strength. What does it look like to trust in His promises, to rely on His strength? If you remember chapter 2, verse 3, When God says, Habakkuk, slow down, just wait. The vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. That's a promise. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, references this passage. and And he gives us a greater sense of the context that Habakkuk hadn't quite seen yet. So Habakkuk, the Lord tells Habakkuk, hey, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. What's it? Hebrews 10, 36-38 says this. For you have need of endurance. You need strength, Christian. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What's promised? For, here's Habakkuk, yet a little while and the coming one, not it, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. What has been coming, what has been slow in coming in some sense, but in perfect timing in God's will? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the promise. Jesus Christ is the source of our strength, the fulfillment of the promise. We just celebrated Christmas, the birth of the Messiah, the promised One, it's a stamp of God's assurance in our lives, in the the work of humanity, that God's work is pressing forward. 
And we can trust in His promises because Jesus, because Christmas, because He is trustworthy. And we rely on His strength. It's not always going to be easy. You know that. We just came through 2020 and there's more stuff coming in 2021. It's not that it will be easy. But when we have the promises of God and we can lean on God Himself, that's where we find our strength. And that's where this last picture uh, that Habakkuk paints is of a deer. It's actually a common picture throughout Scripture. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on my high places. He's saying, when I'm with God, I have every confidence that I'm taking the right steps. Deer never loses a step. has no fear of falling. It's full of freedom and life and joy. This is what Christ promises us. There's a lot of things that will probably be out of our control this new year. But whatever may come, this example of Habakkuk should push us towards living by our faith. This year, will you choose to trust God? When we want to know all the patience, all the answers, will you trust enough to be patient, to wait? When we're tempted to think that God isn't working, we remind ourselves, Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Randy Alcorn says, Sometimes we make the foolish assumption that the Heavenly Father has no right to insist that we trust Him unless He makes His infinite wisdom completely understandable to us. What we call the problem of evil is often the problem of our finite and fallen understanding. It was the hardest lesson I ever have to learn. In our times of suffering, God doesn't give answers as much as He gives Himself. Will you choose to trust God? This year, will you choose to rejoice in the Lord? No matter what comes your way, will you be able to say, like James tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds? Will you choose to sing songs of praise, not just on Sunday morning? Will you choose to pray through the Psalms? How will you rejoice in the Lord this year? Count your blessings. Give thanks every day. Write them in a journal. Our joy is found in being content in wherever and whatever God has for us. So we remind ourselves there's reasons to rejoice in the Lord. This year, will you choose to know God deeply? Will you choose to go deeper in your knowledge and relationship with God? You're not going to find any joy or contentment outside of a right relationship with God through Jesus. won't happen. So commit to go deeper in your relationship with Him. Join a Bible study. Join a home group. We've got a virtual one starting this week. We've got a couple meeting in homes. Some of you might have started a new Bible reading plan a couple days ago. Stick with it. And when you miss a day, if you're like me, keep at it. Will you choose to know God deeply? 
Meet up with someone who will keep you accountable this year. Will you choose to rely on God's strength? When you're confused about a situation, when you're going through a struggle or an issue, wondering why God's allowing whatever particular thing you're dealing with is happening, will you go to Him in prayer first before you try to fix it yourself? James said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. But then he continues, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Christ has promised us everything we need. We must rely on Him. I promise you, Because God promises you that He is working. It may seem slow at times. You may not see the whole picture, but God is working. I promise that He hears you. He sees you. He sees you in your struggle. I promise. Because God promises that you can trust that His plan is unfolding just as He knew it would. That He will make all things right. He will reward those who are faithful. My prayer for us this new year that we would have this kind of new perspective that's rooted in the character of God but also fuels us to live by faith. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we're thankful we serve an eternal, infinite, all-wise God. One who sees us and hears us is personal. One who understands struggle, who understands temptation, who understands what it is to live on this world, to be mocked, to rejected, despised, to be lonely, to be depressed, to be sad, to be full of sorrow. Lord, I pray that we would turn to You. That You would change our complaining to singing singing your praises as we trust you. Lord, help us choose to rejoice in the Lord. Help us choose to go deeper in our relationship with you as you have promised to draw near to us as we draw near to you. Lord, help us rely on your strength and not try to do this on our own. We thank you for the word of the Lord through Habakkuk. In your name we pray.